Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, the weather is cooling off. It's so exciting. I know you're excited about that. I love that. it. I love it. I love and it. And you were just communing with elk and... I was communing? Com- yeah. I was communing they with were, elk were, and They were bugling at bison. you and things like that. Yeah, and, so and it, moose, it, so bears. So it's, it's time. Mm-hmm. It, it's game time. It is. Right? Meaning... The Ravens? You don't want to talk about football. Ah, well, I don't know anything about football. Let's talk about about cooking game. Okay. Game, game birds. I know something about preparations, how to deal with it, Mm -hmm. cuts, wine for it, all that sort of foolishness. It's that time. So, what's your single favorite piece of game to cook? My favorite is squab, and that's pigeon. So So, flavorful. So, squab is a young pigeon, and they tend to be little. They're small birds, so they're you know you can eat eat it whole. If you're roasting it at home, um, I would say you know one person. If you're having maybe you're having a soup course or a salad or something prior, if you're only having two courses, you could easily eat a whole squab. I think ours weigh about ten to twelve ounces. They're pretty small. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and and it's so nice to cook them on the bone, you know, on the rib cage, you know, cooking them whole. Any, well, anything with like the bone a, makes like a difference. Meat. Yeah, like yeah. any meat. Yeah, so it's, it's the squab is uh, one of the birds that we do cook to medium rare. Um, it is it is lean, and it just does really well cooked to that temperature. And one of the things that's really nice about it is you can crisp up the skin so beautifully, and I think that's really essential when you're making it, you know. And the, the skin is thin, but it does have a nice little bit of fat underneath it. Mm-hmm. There are pockets I mean, of fat. Just, to, just as a... a a bit of a reference, red meat birds, you probably want to cook them in general the way that you would want to cook red meat. So if you like beef medium, you may want duck, which is another red meat bird, mm-hmm. medium. I agree. That's a good uh, That's a good way of looking at it. Um, yeah, because if you're having pheasant or, you know, pintad, you know, you're, you're going to cook that all the way through like you would chicken. So squab, the, well, the one, I always get people, you know, at table side with the, with the, Oh, were these the ones wandering around outside this afternoon? <laughs> no, it's a farm-raised pigeon, right? And it's a it's a different breed. It's not like the New York City no, like all, no, you know. The, no. I, I'm, you I know, don't want to eat any of those. on the statue. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no squabs no, on not, the statue. Not, not recommending that. <laughs> but oh. it, it's funny. And some of the farm-raised squab, if you recall, mm-hmm. that restaurant that I love in Bonn, Yes. Uh, my cuisine, I told you the squab was great. You were right. And they get amazing squab. And I've never seen them with quite as much fat. Mm. Yeah, theirs are bigger than ours, too. They're a little bigger, and yeah. there's a little more fat under the skin. And oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. You know, one time I did a wine dinner. Well, of course you know. And I, I separated <laughs> I separated the, the breast meat. We did debone them. And we separated the breast meat from the leg, and I fried the legs, like our fried chicken. Oh, my goodness. That was just such a little surprise treat. I mean, I'd never thought to do that before. You know, you think of it as such a high-end thing, and you want it to be as you know, beautifully, elegantly executed as possible. And frying the leg never you know, really sounded like that to me. But, wow, were they great. People loved the little eggs. Let's talk. Let's talk about the thing everyone worries about with game: flavor, intensity of flavor, right? Gaminess, right? Mm-hmm. That's that's mm-hmm. the thing that. So squab 
it's less scary than you think it's going to be, I think. I think so, too. You know, it's, you know, it's farm-raised, so it's not, you know, it's eating a specific diet. Well, and, and that's another reason why it's not scary. There's another tangential just rule of thumb for game. If it's farm-raised game, it's going to be having a milder diet, will have a milder flavor. Mm-hmm. And it's more tender, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah, than a bird that's out there in the wild that you... Well, it's it's also just not like it's random diet, random movement, random age. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. that that's what's in the wild. And it can be amazing. It can also be... Oh, they can be very amazing. It can also but be very like different. chewing on a moccasin. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, and also I think, you know, with squab, I think of, we, we always say with the waiters, that's the most flavorful of all the birds. We kind of give them a... Uh, a lineup. Not the strongest flavor, but it has Most like a deep, right. rich. Mm-hmm. For me, it's always exciting, super exciting to pair with wine, and you can do it with many different things. And and squab lends itself to different preparations in that I know that you'll grill it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really nice to have it stuffed and roasted. Oh, yes. Mm. And if you recall uh, Robuchon's squab, Mm-hmm. Stuffed with foie gras and wrapped in cabbage and roasted that way. One of the best things I've ever Keeping eaten in my moist. life. That's yes, and with with and with truffles in there as well. It's funny. So that's oh two. Gosh. That's two squab dishes. One at Ma Cuisine and one at Robuchon. Yeah, that was in New York when he was in the uh, the Four Seasons Hotel, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah that yeah. was years ago. And um, yeah, that dish. And when when they wrap it in the cabbage like that, I mean, it sort of roasts steams. You yeah, know, exactly. so it's just oh, it's such a great technique. But it, and it's I can't be that it's not that difficult to do. No, no. Stuffing a no. squab is not tough mm-hmm. or difficult to do. Right. And 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 wrapping and like you season it, you wrap it. Right. You roast it. I mean. Yeah, and you're tying it with you know you're basically enclosing it with. Did you say that had bacon on the outside? Am I imagining that? Or was it just uh, the was it just the cabbage? I'm, I'm trying to remember on the outside, but it was just but cabbage. That's, but that's another way to do it too, because then that sort of helps to seal in, and that you know we all know how much fat there is in bacon. Then that's self basting the entire well, time. That has to be a choice. Do you want to add the smoke or not? Right. The the point I was going to make about how it's flexible in preparation, it's also super wine flexible. So what do you, what wine do you like? It depends on the preparation, of course. Mm-hmm. That. That preparation from Robuchon, I want Bordeaux for that. I want mature mm. Bordeaux. Nice. You know, so Bordeaux grapes, Cabernet Sauvignon Merlot, but from the Bordeaux region, so and, and with bottle age on it. So more secondary aromas and flavors, more uh, aromas and flavors from the earth. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the fruit very drawn out, and, but very seasoned and savory, as you would expect in, say, Saint-Emilion, something like that. And that's... That's an ideal. I'm, I'm, we're talking about this early in the morning, and I'm very excited to <laughs> drink a glass of saint Emilion with uh, that that squab with with the uh, the cabbage wrapping. Well, and you were talking about stuffing them too, and the, it's a small cavity, so it's not a lot of work to stuff them because no. you're not going to get that much in there. Well, and frankly, it's not that dangerous because mm-hmm. stuffing mm-hmm. a lot of times the temperature won't rise enough. So, like you stuff a turkey, you worry about. Did right. it, yeah, did it kill did, did, any potential bacteria in there? Yeah. Right, right. But not but, with the squat. Not with the squat. Exactly. Guy. It's small, and you're not going to worry about that. Mm-hmm. It's, a lot of times you've done cornbread stuffing for things. Mm-hmm. I'd love to. You take those Bordeaux grapes and you make them West Coast Bordeaux grapes, say a, a Napa Cab or something like that, mm-hmm. and or a Merlot from Washington State, 
let me have the cornbread stuffing and maybe mm-hmm. a little bit of tasso ham or something in yeah, there. Yeah, and I yeah, I put and some Vidalia onions. Stuff stuff your squap with that guy. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I do. Yeah, and and it's and I put a little bit of um, lemon juice in when I make that stuffing because it just helps to balance all that flavor. And it's that's it, you know, tasso ham, a little bit of sauteed gently sauteed onion and butter, salt and pepper, and then the cornbread diced up nice and small. And um, yeah, and a little bit of fresh lemon juice is so good. Other sources, because be, I mean, you're not going to find squab in a, a butcher's case necessarily. You're going to have to order it. Uh, you know, there are a couple of butchers around here that will get them for you um, because they buy from the same people. I Well, one of them, buy, I know for sure, buys from the same people I do, which is D'Artagnan. And you can buy directly online from D'Artagnan. When you're buying squab, you get whole birds typically. Yes. Some people are freaked out to get... Oh, you a mean head on, cook with, head on feet on? With, with a the head guts. with the feet. Uh, you can get them from them without that, too. So actually, my, my head on birds come from a different purveyor, not from D'Artagnan. The ones from D'Artagnan are headless and feetless. Can we talk about the other very happy to, to cook and consume small bird that people don't always consider? I just don't think it's that difficult to cook a squab correctly. No, it's not. You know, even mm-hmm. even it's just doing it in a steel pan at home, mm-hmm. that Got to be and the easiest the perfect, way. That's a perfect pan, a steel pan. But quail. Yeah, uh, and even quicker. They same take all same about, techniques. Yeah, you know, they take take all of about six seven minutes to to roast. What about half the size? Two thirds of the size? I'd say two thirds the size. Yeah, yeah. They're they're little, and you can. I mean, you could eat. That's why they say a brace of quail. You can eat two of those pretty easily. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're yeah they're tiny. They're good. The meat is so sweet and beautiful. And quail are so. Oh, I love frankly, quail. Frankly. Mm. Cute. I mean, like I have a, a little cup of rondo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can put a dozen quail in there. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, oh, quail, quail, porcini's, uh, shallots. You know, uh, a little, little red wine, a little stock. I hope we get some. Just, just, just let it roast. Just yeah, let it roast. That's beautiful. I hope we get and some just porcini's. Yeah. Well, and that pan, you know, you make such a great deglazing with a pan like that, especially with all those birds in there. You know, deglaze it with a little bit of red wine and you're, you know, if you have a game bird stock, you know, I often will fortify my chicken and veal stock with the bones from squab if we, you know, because we do often get the head and feet on. So we do take that off for the guests. Um, And then that we brown that and put that in with our stock. And if we often get in a couple of different things, we'll get quail and squab in at the same time. So we actually get a decent amount of bones. And I'll even throw, while it's not a game bird, I'll even throw my rabbit bones in there too. And that just makes such a beautiful stock. Or broth for soup. Yeah. I mean, I think that even just, it's funny, when you get quail and you clip all those wings, Mm -hmm. you accumulate enough of those wings. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you buy... Make it really beautiful yeah. little consomme. Right. We make like 24 or buy like 24 at a time, but, you know, may not be doing that at home. But there, they, that quail, you don't want to eat medium rare. You want that to be, you know, medium, medium well, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's a... It, it's it's got to go a little further. Right, right. Just don't... The, text, make, the texture is not as nice. Right. Just don't take it to well done. I mean... If you take a squab to well done, you're not going to like it at all. That's when you're going to say, ooh, that's, that's this is gamey. too strong and gamey. Right. It will destroy it, basically. Yeah. With a, with a quail, it's not going to have a nice texture until and that, mm-hmm. like, if you cook it solid, medium, and it rests up a little bit, that's about right. But, yeah, the oh, medium well is about as far as you can go. You know, one of the southern preparations for a quail is uh, country ham and grapes. 
And I always love that that whole combination, you know, add a, some red grapes, seedless red grapes to the pan, let them burst in there, produces a little bit of juice, deglaze with a red wine, add a little stock. Oh, it makes it's funny. Sense. It's squab and quail. The one thing I think differently, I always want earthy, savory garnishes and flavors with the dish with squab. Yeah. Yes. I like fruity garnishes. Oh, for sure. Like many people do with a lot of game, but with quail, mm-hmm. and it might be because you, you, to get a nice texture, you have to cook it a little bit longer. It may actually end up having a slightly stronger flavor than the mm-hmm. than the squab may, and it, it's nice to have the counterpoint. Wine wise, you use very different things. That's what I was, yeah, I'm curious what you. I mean, quail. You can go anywhere from like Alsace, you know. Mm, that's nice. Like Pinot Gris, something that's a little bit off dry, mm-hmm. big smoky apple pie flavors. That can be marvelous, like very pretty Nebbiolo from Northern Piemonte. You know, they, they, there's there are a lot of different things. You just don't need you don't need quite the muscle. Mm-hmm. And the flavor is not as broad and rich as squab. You know, when you said that about earthy and versus fruit for the two birds, I mean, I was just thinking about truffles because I I just bought my first white truffles. For in you the, were just thinking about truffles because you're always, always thinking about know, truffles. That's true. It is my you know people say what's your favorite ingredient, and I always used to say nothing. You know, I love everything, but the, truffles are my favorite the, ingredient. The, to work the with. look on your face when they were first, <laughs> like the first time you heard they were available in the summertime. Winter truffles from the southern hemisphere. Oh, that was so exciting. The look on your face. And I was just thinking, truffles and tomatoes. I don't know if I can. But you were like, no. <laughs> it's like more wait. Christmas with my Christmas. I'm taking it. <laughs> Christmas in July. <laughs> oh, but the the idea of a black winter truffle would be, I mean, sure, you could put it with a quail, but I immediately think of squab. So that earthiness that you were talking about, yeah, it's so it's, true. Or or the wild mushrooms with the squab. You know, I mean, you can still put fruit with squab, but it just is that better Quail, I want, I want red currants. I want mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, grapes. I want pumpkin. I Mango. Want, you know. Mango. Yeah. In the summertime. You know, yeah. Citrus, for sure. Yeah, but, uh, orange and quail is quite good. Mm-hmm. But, so, but yeah, and, and, and wine-wise, it runs like same thing. You you want to go fruitier. Mm-hmm. You, you, you want to go a little bouncier, a little lighter. So, But that's, I mean, cooking technique-wise, similar. Yes, you can grill them or pan roast them, and you cook them a little bit more. Single favorite preparation for you? What 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 is your quail quail at the moment? Yeah, you know, I love. There was a period of time where I did grilled mango with it, and that's now it's on my mind since I just mentioned it. And um, grilled mango, a little bit of uh, passion fruit in a reduction sauce. It, it's just such a beautiful combination. But really, truly, one of my favorite all time is. Pecan stuffing that I make as well. You know, the cornbread is great, but the pecan, you know, it's a different. I use panko to make that, and it just, you know, all the juice that may come out of the bird as it's resting and everything, and it just, uh, it, it, it's, it doesn't compete with the bird at all. The, the, the onion, the celery, nice amount of it, sautéed very gently in butter with salt and pepper, and then add toasted pecans that are broken up and um, the panko. And I, I for quail, I would put a little bit of stock in the stuffing as well. And go heavy, a little, not heavy, like overdo it, but a little bit more pepper than you might just think is a normal amount of pepper. And it's just, it's perfect. It's perfect for the quail. And then, you know, like right now we're doing Erico Ver Beignets, which, you know, that's one of my other favorite things that I talk about all the time. But I like crispy food. It, that's what it comes down to. I will never forget reading Michel... Um, uh, the 
Michel Richard from, uh, you know, from California, from France, obviously, originally. He, he always sold himself DC. as Captain Crunch Yeah, he, in and, the early days of his career. Yeah, and I'll never forget reading that article about him. And he started off as a pastry chef. So it makes sense that he likes, you know, crunchy Crispy, food. Crunchy, right, yeah. right. And so I, that resonated with me many, many years ago when I read that article about him. Because I'm like, me too. So, you know, I just love things that are crispy, which is why I like fried food. And I, I, I like, I don't, it's not that I like fried food. You, you, it's that you, I like crispy you like, food. You like fried food because you're a human. <laughs> and we humans don't all admit it, but we all like fried food. Sure, sure. And if it's done really well, there is, you know, Jean-Louis Paladin was a master at frying food. One of the greatest chefs that's ever lived. And he, he would make calamari that you would cry when you ate it. It was so good. I'll never forget his calamari fried. Perfection. That it, this is definitely off subject, but the quality of when, when calamari is fresh and good and it's just little fried mm. rings is, yeah. is magical and light. Absolutely. And it can be just one of the more hideous. Yeah. You know, when it's turned into rubber bands. Bitter, instead of, crunchy rubber bands. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's horrifying. No, thanks. But anyway. All right. All right. With that terrible image, we're going to <laughs> we're going to take a break and we're going to move on to a larger game. Mm-hmm. Four-legged game. Oh, all right. When we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. We promised four-legged game, but I want to throw I want to throw a question there about birds while we because we started with birds in the last segment. Mm-hmm. Guinea fowl, mm-hmm. farm raised, mm-hmm. but more flavor. And a lot of times people think just because it's it's not chicken, it's not turkey, so it's game. But I don't think that that falls into that category. Mm-hmm. But boy, it's fun to eat. Mm-hmm. And duck. Yes. Duck can be both. Yes. Right? Right. Well, and guinea fowl. And, and goose can be both. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait until goose is available. It's, we usually only really get that around Christmas time. And um, I can't wait to make the breast. That That is one of the most wonderful products I've ever gotten to work with. That That is often one of those things that people will attempt to cook that they struggle with. The well, it, it can be very tough so, very quickly. That has to be cooked medium. I mean, you know, I'm, I know not everybody likes their food medium rare, but well, honestly, I mean, that I, is really the only way to cook it. And, and you have to cook it relatively gently because uh-huh. it's huge mm-hmm. and it's lean and it's dense. Oh, my gosh. The fat is all on the outside. Right. Just just like a duck breast. So Yeah, you need to baste it while it's roasting. Um, I would not keep – I would keep it around 300 instead of 325 or 350. You really want to you want to season it well. Really rub salt and pepper in on the skin. You can even score the like we do when we do a magre uh, duck breast. You can score the skin a little bit, which will allow that fat again to escape. And you can just keep basting it, basting it, but also put salt and pepper in the cavity like you would with any bird. And um, and then you can decide if you want to stuff it with mirepoix. Um, I really do suggest that. So a little bit of um, large pieces of carrot, celery, onion, and you can put uh, rosemary stem in there. 
if you're not going to stuff the bird, which I don't think I'd stuff goose. But um, yeah, it's it's it can be very, very delicious, and it can also be very tough. You know how much we put up fruit and conserve and all that sort of business in the house. Mm-hmm. Every year we we dry Italian plums with spices mm-hmm. and yeah, put and put them nice. in a, a like a brandy syrup and have those at well, that would purely be with goose. Slice slice of goose breast. And and some of those plums. I can just see the fat, you know, just glistening and coming out from underneath, right underneath that skin across the meat when you slice it. You know, I mean, it's just such a beautiful thing, if, especially if it's medium rare. But I mean, that honestly, but we're we're in the season. It doesn't have to be just people say, oh, a Christmas goose. Fine. If you can find but, it. I mean, it. Yeah, it's yeah. more availability than it is anything. Surely, if you can find it, get it because it's really really a treat. But with a guinea fowl, I, I love the legs on a guinea fowl so much. I mean, the breast is obviously delicious, but there's something about that meat. It's a little bit darker. Um, the legs tend to be sort of blue when you look at them. And, um, yeah, that, that meat. And I will often confit the leg meat on a guinea fowl because there's a lot of bones in there. Um, like, I don't know why, but it seems like there's six or seven bones in there, and it's it can be tough to deal with. So if you confit it, then you can easily remove all those little bones. I remember introducing Chris Kanga to guinea fowl, <laughs> working on a menu for, for his place, and uh, he's like, never really worked with it much. I'm like, think the legs are a little bit like mm, chicken on steroids. <laughs> you know, they're bigger, they're stronger. Yeah. You know, they're, they're a little denser, but at the same time, they're fattier. And uh, they, they they pay you back. Well, and one of the other birds, um, pheasant, and, you know, we talked a little bit about that whole quail thing where the uh, squab uh, wrapped in, in cabbage and then was it, did it have bacon? When I first started working with pheasant, I would put a piece. We used to buy this bacon called Jugtown bacon, mm-hmm. and it had a really nice, beautiful smoke to it. And we would get nice, thick slices, and it was really. I would actually, I'd like to get some of that. I wish they still made it. Um, but I used to slide that underneath between the skin and the breast meat on the pheasant, and because that bird is lean as well. Again, there are pockets of fat on all of these birds, but it's not. Fat throughout the meat. It's it's a pocket of fat well, like, between like any game. You're trying to figure out mm-hmm. how to keep it from drying out. Yeah, I mean that, that's yeah. part of it. one 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 question is always how strong is it going to be, so I know how to deal with it, mm-hmm. and where is the fat so I can take advantage of that. Right. Well, to, to to end up with a nice texture. And magre is the extreme. You know, it has this huge amount of fat on the outside. And, um, you know, that's that's what helps to make that, you know, really sort of luscious as you're roasting it or pan searing it or whatever, however you're going to cook it or grilling it. You can grill it, but, you know, it's, it's a little tough because of the amount of fat. So magre duck is, that's the breast from a bird that's raised for the foie gras. Moulard. So right. they, they get much bigger. They're about, they're about a pound. They are, exactly. Each. Pretty much. Right, right. And they, they, um, uh, you know, it's it's more steak-like in texture, you know, much more so. And also, you know, that's, again, with the magre, you score the fat side, you rub salt in, if you like pepper, a little pepper, and then salt the meat side, and then, then we do what's called rendering that. So that would go into the steel pan fat side down on low heat. Um, really, you can just put a drop of a couple of drops of oil in because pretty soon you're going to have a ton of fat in there. But you do want 
you know, you want a hot pan to start. You want a tiny bit of fat in so that uh, initially that bird uh, doesn't stick to the pan. And then you want to keep knocking some of that fat out into a metal pan or something or bowl or something that you have on the side of your work area so that you don't get too much fat in there, which will become dangerous and unnecessary for the bird to sit in. It's funny. When I render a magre breast at home, I always use this big old cruze pan. Mm-hmm. I never put any fat in it. Just put it, well, on, put it on very low. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, Put it on very low. It's a ceramic coating. Ceramic, yeah, coating. Put it on very low, and it just... Yeah, that's nice. Good. Yeah, that gives me a really beautiful result. Yeah, and you want it to be sort of golden. You know, aim for a golden, chestnutty brown. Um, you know, you don't want to get too dark, and you, and you do want to, it to reduce in fat. You don't want to get rid of all the fat, though. You know, you do want to keep a little layer of fat there because that's quite delicious, quite frankly. Yeah, when you turn it over and cook it on the... The meat side. The meat side. Mm-hmm. You end up with a nice crispy result. Mm-hmm. And there is a there's a piece of silver skin that runs through part of the breast, and there's nothing you can do about it. It goes through the interior of that meat, and um, that's the only thing that's a you know kind of a bummer about that that particular cut because you know like I said, it literally runs through the whole thing. You can't remove that in any way. So just be conscious of that. And also there's a little valve uh, that you want to try to remove and you'll see it. It just looks like a little tube for it's a better word. The shoulder, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. So it's fun. we have a bird problem, obviously. We thought we were going to talk about birds a little bit in a segment and, and now we spilled over enormously. One, one last on birds, pheasants. So pheasants is the trickiest by far. Mm-hmm. Farm-raised pheasant, maybe a little bit more fat, but only so much. Right. Wild pheasant, no. No, yeah, it's lean, lean, right. Big, big favorite all time, pheasant with green olives for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And and you, and you get pheasant from the Loire in France. And I remember going to a couple of different restaurants, Jean Bardet mm-hmm. and having pheasant. And I had pheasant the first time in Le Doyen in Paris, the famous three star. Yeah. Probably 15, 16 years ago. And they warned me. And yes, indeed. The pheasant had shot. Oh yeah, that's right. He, he pulled. He pulled out a bunch of it when 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 he was when he was carving it, mm-hmm. but not all of it. Yeah, because I I found some additional that were in there just in case. Like, well, this this is uh, nothing like eating little metal this balls. Is, this is this is a wild product. Yeah, <laughs> tiny. <laughs> well, it was delicious too. I I remember you loved it, but yeah, yeah it's a little shocking to. Well, it's, it's one of those things also like that. Cooked in a you know a, a big cocotte or like a casserole, and with a lot of vegetables steaming in the bottom of it, and obviously that, and I realized ah oh, that's if the fat isn't there, you need that moist environment. Mm-hmm. So just like the squab and the cabbage leaf, that pheasant would do well in that kind of situation. And while the fat from the bacon, like the jug time bacon you were talking about, is helpful, coming up with some kind of a moist environment for it, that's. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. Well, you could also wrap it in call fat, which you, then you could even that's old you know, school. Yeah, and call fat is is crazy looking. It, what uh, you know, it almost looks. I don't know how it to describe like, it. It looks like netting. netting. Yeah, yeah, with crazy pattern, and it's sort of whitish, and um, 
it doesn't really add any flavor or anything, but it, it, it what it does is it captures everything and encases the bird if it's like a breast. Let's say you want to do the pheasant breast, which, you know, that's a lot for one person to eat anyway. So uh, you can cut that off the bird if you're, if you're um, let's say you're going to confit the legs or you want to do something def- different with the legs and you're going to roast the bones and make stock. And then so you have the breast meat and maybe you leave the wing, uh, wing joint intact. Um, yeah, but you could wrap that in call fat and you could also slip something underneath the call fat, which is what makes it fun. You could do a piece of foie gras under there. You could do mushrooms in there or what, you know, whatever you want. Um, but yeah, call fat's a good way to go too. Now, wine with these birds, guinea fowl is a white meat bird. So you, you can run white, but it needs to be rich. Like white hermitage is like the perfect thing in the world. Okay. Um, maybe like a big roussan. Roussan, yeah. Marsan, I can something smell in that, that right now. Yeah, um, hmm. but that that makes sense with that sort of bird. Okay. Uh, you mentioned a magre. Magre is, I mean, that's you always think of the southwest of France. That's that's also Bordeaux or uh, Madurin, Cahors, things like that. Big, big, dark, uh, robust. There's plenty of fat to deal with there. There's also because there's always a little bit of vegetal edge to those grapes. It's nice with like the bloody sweetness mm-hmm. of the magre. Pheasant is interesting because pheasant either wants really pretty red burgundy. Pheasant, depending upon the preparation, can do very, very well with mature white wines from burgundy or even Sancerre from a great producer like Vatin. Mm-hmm. Also nice with champagne. Oh, good. Oh, like, yeah. like Blanc de Blanc. Nice and refreshing. Blanc de Blanc champagne. Mm. Well, you know, just one more thing about since we're talking about ducks, um, you know, because it does have all that fat. If you're roasting a whole duck, like a Rohan duck, oh my gosh, that's the best time to put sliced potatoes in there near the end of the cooking. You know, that last 20, 25 minutes or or maybe some shallots, whole shallots or chipolini onions or pearl onions, whatever you like. But oh my gosh, that there's so much fat in yeah, there. You that's, have your own duck fat potatoes. Yeah, oh my gosh, it's just such an opportunity to really get the best golden, you know, rich, fantastic potatoes in there with that roasting bird. So, do we actually get through all the birds that we love? I think we did. To cook and to eat? <laughs> yes. I think just just about. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like I said, it's interesting. Some of these things can be farm-raised. Some can be wild. So, can we talk about four-legged creatures? Yes. Like venison? Like venison. Mm-hmm. Bison. There, there's more than one kind of venison. It's not just the ones that eat your gardenias. <laughs> No, no, but you may want to eat those particular you, ones because it's very frustrating. You may, when but they but, eat all your plants. Well, but just like other game, you have to deal with it differently. If it's wild, you don't know its age, mm-hmm. you don't know its diet, right? You don't know its movement. It's not. It's not predictable what the product is that you're going to get. Yeah, I, I've never cooked wild, wild uh, deer, so that is not something I have experience with. Mine, I've, I've only had, cooked farm raised. So I had a. Very interesting evening, and I will finish this segment on this little quick story. In the Languedoc, in the south of France, in the wintertime, uh, in a hunting lodge, and these guys brought all of these different things in, and there were three different kinds of deer, three different kinds of venison. That's exciting. Three different species, right? Got it. And three enormously different flavor profiles, and obviously diets, and they came from different areas within the Languedoc, some near the seaside and the pine forests, some up in the mountains. 
you know. That's great. Some, some like from the, 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 the plains that are to the east near Provence proper. How did it differ in the way it tasted? The the ones from the, the hillside, much stronger. Mm. Okay. M- much stronger, much gamier, and, and really loved fire. Really loved that, you know, that like being roasted slow over the charcoal kind of thing and being pulled, which while it was tough, was very tasty. Uh, the the guys from the east, the smaller, the red deer, like you see in Italy a lot, mild, sweet, mm. easy. They've obviously been living on grass and not just a bunch of wild everything. Right. Okay. And, uh, and, and, and a smaller breed, so much more tender. And this was like they just grilled slices of, you know, like took a leg, broke it down, and just grilled slices of the leg to – Pretty darn rare and that's terrific. A, that's a great opportunity. And terrific. Mm. And then the ones that were down near the seacoast, they, they were bigger than the other guys, for sure. And you could tell they'd been eating like a bit in the marshes and in the pine forests because there was a definite different mineral tone to the meat itself. You know, the, the, the saline quality was there. Mm. And that was kind of an interesting thing. And they all wanted different wines. So even just within you know venison itself there's there's an example literally one night <laughs> from three different sources all within you know 30 kilometers of each other. Fantastic. Three different breeds. That's pretty cool. Yeah, which was cool. But oh my god, it was cold. <laughs> it was January. <laughs> anyway, when we come back on Formula Wolf on Food and Wine, we've got to get into well some of that stuff out west, right? Elk and bison and mm-hmm and some venison recipes from Cindy on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And it's all about game today. Mm-hmm. We spent a bunch of time on birds. We love birds. Yes. And we started with venison. And I promised, without asking you... <laughs> a whole bunch of recipes? <laughs> no, but at least one or two <laughs> venison recipes for listeners that, that you're excited about. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I really like fruit with venison. So, uh, pears. Let's say pears. So let's say Paris poached and port red wine, and I don't think I would do any sort of spices, which I often do for, like, birds, you know, like cinnamon sticks, star anise, clove. So what cut of venison? I like to buy the loin or the leg because you can get a boneless leg that's actually a lot of really beautiful meat, and you can make really nice medallions out of it. But the loin is super easy. Or, or Well, and if you can afford to buy the racks, the racks are amazing because then you're getting the bone on it. Um, and that's really exciting. But they're really crazy expensive. But, um, you know, so if you poach pears, let's say you, you, you uh, cut the pears in half, you take the seeds out. Uh, you've ar- you always start your liquid first. So port, uh, red wine, and a little bit of sugar. And I would do 50-50, port, 50% port, 50% red wine, you know, maybe a little bit of sugar. And um, 
kind of cook that down. If you are adding spices, you want to add, obviously add the spices, let it do its job, and then strain those out. And then add the pears because literally the pears only take a couple of minutes to cook. And they, but the, but I would say you want to let them sit in that war, that hot liquid for a period of time, like several hours at least. It's better if you make them the day before, and um, they sit in the liquid overnight. And the pear really takes on that flavor and becomes beautifully red, and you know they're they're gorgeous. And and also with the pear, something like a we do a pickled onion, a pickled red onion for a dish, and. Immediately that comes to mind because I think that would be so nice to have that sort of, you know, the pears are going to be tender um, after they're cooked. And it would be nice to have that sort of crunchy pickled red onion with that and the venison. That would be so good together. Sweet and sour. Mm -hmm. Um, Or you could uh, roast shallots. Um, again, we talked about that with the magre, but in this case, I would just roast them with a, a little bit of uh, in the skins with a little bit of corn oil, salt and pepper, and uh, or chipolini onions, whatever, and um, then clean, you know, take their skin off and re-season them. Beets are also really, really good with venison. I love, you know, it could be the yeah, I like beets a lot with venison. Yeah, it could be the chayogas. It could be you know golden beets. It could be a regular red beet, um, baby beets. I mean, there's so many. It's so nice because we have so many different choices with beets now, locally even, you know, and um, so that's really good with venison. And um, and then you could also go in a different direction, like something smoky, like a little bit of um, hash. I make a uh, I use Yukon gold potatoes to a, a small dice of those blanch them off in water with salt just until they're al dente, drain them, cool them, and then mix them uh, with a very fine pieces of cooked off bacon. And uh, you could add a little bit of finely chopped shallot or onion to that as well. And uh, I like to add chives to that right at the end and a little bit of olive oil. And that's really great with venison. I mean, you could do potato puree. Oh, sure. You uh, could do a potato gratin. Puree, it's funny. Immediately to my mind always comes... I want some kind of root vegetable, but in a really nice light puree, like parsnip puree, carrot puree, um, could be the, the little Harukai Japanese turnip puree. Mm-hmm. And but I want a bitter green with it. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's the greens from those turnips, mm-hmm. or uh, or mustard green, something that has. So I have the the earthy and sweet, and I have that like sharp. To go with like sweet bloody venison, absolutely. And when the moment you said greens, I immediately thought of our collard greens because oh, those are so good with venison. Um, we make a smoked ham hock stock with carrot, celery, onion, lots of smoked ham hocks. We even put chicken stock in sometimes and let that work so that the, the smoked ham hocks can do their job, and then strain that and then cook the collard greens in there until they're nice and tender. And that broth. With venison. Well, and also, you know, when you think about it, like potato gratin or potato puree with something, venison is so unbelievably lean. It likes something that's fatty. So if you're not doing, yeah, if you're not doing the fruit, if you're not doing the root vegetable thing, you know, go in a direction of something with some fat in it. What about larger? I'm going to say a favorite of mine for the end of this. Larger animals. Well, with the bison, again. Bison are not nice. Oh, they're scary animals. Yeah, I mean, yes, they're they're really they're the males, enormous and have bad attitudes. Yeah, they they weigh a, literally weigh a ton, and they are very. The males are very aggressive, and obviously the females are if they have if they have children around. But um, yeah, bison is another lean, even though it's gigantic. It it is another lean uh, meat to work with, and um, 
I don't. I don't know that bison necessarily has more flavor than deer, or deer has more. I don't think they. I think they're probably pretty similar in level of flavor. Um, I think they're very similar in the fact that you would n- never want to cook them medium well or well done, unless you're br- actually doing a braising dish. You know, if you're grilling it, sautéing it, roasting it, you really want to be rare, medium but rare. Bison has Maybe a richer medium. texture. Okay, and then, but I think with bison, it just to me it has a sweeter tone to it. And sometimes I I almost feel like I just want to really badly put a piece of beef tenderloin, our good beef tenderloin on the grill, and a piece of bison on the grill and really eat them side to side because I almost feel like bison just has a little bit more flavor and tastes better than, I mean, I I love beef, but it's not... It's not weird yeah. in any way. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. It's, it's a, a little. Well, it's going to be a little cleaner because it's less fat. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's when we were buying that that beef from Uruguay, and we could still get the oh, really yeah. beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. It was no fat to it, but yeah, oh my lean. goodness, mm-hmm. that sort really of acted like, like venison. Pure, or, yeah, I mean, really, really bison, incredibly pure. You wanted it super rare. Yeah. Like literally, just char it and get it off the fire and. Oh, my goodness. That was marvelous. I will tell you something that I think is very important to know about these sorts of meats um, or game. They oxidize very, very quickly. So this is not something you want to prep ahead the day before, not in any way. Buy it and cook it. Yeah. Buy it and cook it. And if it's in cryovac, that's fine. That's great. Take it out of the cryovac. Let it, you know, sort of air out, if you will, for, you know, a few minutes. And... You want to pick, take a paper towel and sort of absorb that blood that was basically in the crab vac with the meat and, um, you know, discard that. And then you have this beautiful, you know, bright red, gorgeous piece of meat. Yeah, season it right away. That by tomorrow it. will be brown yeah. and will almost start to smell a little sour. It's really weird how quickly. It's not bad, obviously, but it is. it will oxidize and turn turn a little bit. So you just really want to work with it right away. And I have braised venison before. I've never braised bison, but I have braised venison. And I mean, you know, that can be absolutely incredible. So it kind of, you know, is contradicting the whole idea of you shouldn't cook it well done. Braising venison, I mean, that. Mm. I'm making venison also buco right now. Oh, good. Yeah. And oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and all that marrow and all that bone with asobuco well, it's a, it's cut. A, it has that intensity, you know. Amazing. It has that intensity. That's with lots of little sweet root vegetables Good. and fresh milled polenta, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the braising liquor. Ugh. Being braised in Barbera that has like a nice like amount of acidity. Nice. And yeah, and that would love. juniper. I, I was just going to say, I know how much you love juniper. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That would Junip- love your juniper. Juniper, coriander seed. Yep. Yeah. Predictable for me. Black that, pepper. That's funny. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great spice mix for that. And, you know, that is really uh, something that wants wine, right? I mean, like that oh. dish just wants wine, like that nothing else. Yeah, yeah. It wants, it wants a Barolo, or a, especially a Barolo, but maybe a Barbaresco too, mm-hmm. with some bottle age. You know, you need 15, 20 years at least. Hmm. All of the spices, all the secondary aromas, the sort of like dying tea roses, the anise, the tar, hmm. you know, the, the, the dried red fruits that have real layers to them. You How know, expensive all, was it? Was it really expensive? I haven't bought venison also not crazy, in years. Not crazy. That's good. Okay. I mean, you you can get a similar, like just to do a brazato, 
like the one I did last Christmas with veal, mm-hmm. oh, with the beans and the so tomato good. and everything. <laughs> you can do a brazato with the shoulder. Mm-hmm. It's just a long cook. Oh, that's well, that's definitely more cost effective. It's, it's it's a long cook and it's definitely like a much better heat it the next day. Yes. Cook it, leave it in the liquid overnight. Eat it the next day. Put a million onion products in with it. Okay, yeah. Because they really want the sweetness. It's it's crazy the difference it makes. I have a wine question for you. So so with something like the venison or the bison. So last night I had uh, a friend came two two of my friends came in for dinner and they were celebrating a birthday and they're very very important to me and uh, we opened a bottle of from my cellar Ridge uh, Santa Cruz from 2002. So it's a 20 year old bottle of wine. First of all, how long do you think a wine like that? Because I mean, I swear, it almost felt new to me. Like, of course, it was interesting and complex, but I'm like, I think this wine would last another 20 years, 30 years. I don't know. Well, but I mean, Ridge, especially in that time with Paul Draper still making the wines, was a very, very good producer. That um, That's the old, like, home ranch bottling they don't even make anymore. It's like 50-50 Cab Merlot. Montebello is their famous, like, super long aging, really top flight. Cabernet Sauvignon that has a little Merlot in it. This is one that's meant to be consumed quicker. O2 is a great vintage. It was there, amazing. There are a lot of vintages since then that would not still be alive. Okay, all right. Yeah, so but that that, the, that that was that was an exceptional year. The moment uh, you know, I I wanted Peter and Miguel but, but and big, I to big taste body, it. Wonderful texture, no? Oh my gosh, it was amazing. Really voluptuous texture. Yeah, and it was almost like almost a little chewy too. You know, I mean, it was just like. And the moment I tasted it, we were all tasting it, and you know the well, guys. it has it has that little that little uh, the tan that vegetable like dried herb thing is there with the tannins. Yeah. They like sweet meat, like duck. That's immediately immediately what I thought of when I tasted. It. I'm like, oh, I can't believe we don't have magre tonight, but we did have quail, and uh, so I was thankful that there we had go. the bird on the menu because I'm like, oh, I just want a big, beautiful slice of magre with this. Uh, Ridge wine, which was very special. I'm so glad, uh, you know, they got to that I got to taste it and they got to consume it. All right. So, what's your game that you want to talk about? Wild boar. Oh yes. Songlier. Chingiale. Yeah, mm. Chingiale, exactly. Mm. And it's funny. You like you you get to Italy and they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're scary. They're, pests. they're scary too. First, first <laughs> night in Italy, like first wine trip I ever went on, I'm in Puglia. Oh, gosh. And, and, and Roberto, you know Roberto's yes, house. Yes, yes. You know, Roberto's house, like way out in the country, I mean, it's pitch black, <laughs> like moon over the, the, the vineyards, you know. And it's cold and the wind is howling. And outside the the, the, the window, and uh, and Patrick and Harney and I are we, oh, sharing a room. Oh, that's hilarious. And, outside, and, we'd, and we'd had some wine and everyone's pretty sleepy. Of course. And outside the window, it's totally silent. <laughs> and you hear them digging in the garden and just tearing, uh, like, they're just gone for hours, just tearing things to pieces. Oh, my. You know, like did, 5 o'clock in the morning, Roberto goes out. I was going to say, did Roberto like, go out and shoot him and the next day? <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. but there, there's so many, I mean, they don't want them there. They're very different from pork. They're, of course, they're pigs. But they live very rough. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're very skinny. They're very fast. Like, d- do not be surprised. They're right up on you quickly if you run into them. And they have those tusks. They do. Yeah, they're... That's, they're, they're scary. They're not over-friendly. 
Um, but they are tasty. <laughs> they make great, great salami. I love. Mm. So, I mean, with, with, with that kind of boar, you have pieces you braise. You have pieces that you make into sausage. You have pieces that you grind. Um, it, you can honestly make really, like, pretty fun burgers uh, and chili and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And you get a few primal cuts, not too much. Yeah. But the the all-time achievement, like, you want to learn to make your own salami? Get some chingale. Yeah. Or, or, or frankly, murder one. Sangrier <laughs> is the French word, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's what you said at the beginning. Yeah, it's... It's it's such a great flavor. Yeah, it, intensity. There's a sweetness. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's all we got time for. Now, I, I need to go out and start shooting wild pigs. <laughs> if you want to listen to this or any one of our other podcasts, go to the WIPR website, wipr.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page, and there is a menu with all the episodes in the past. If you want to correspond with us via email, it's foremanwolf at wipr.org. If you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media, you can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram as Chef Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. And thanks so much for listening. Happy Sunday. <laughs>